behind. So, so, somehow. I, I am, and and that actually is probably going to be a theme tonight. Even though, even though re- realistically, if we're operating on the assumption that the, the international dateline is a legitimate thing, then Ben should be last. Um, he should be slightly behind us as we are slightly to the east of him. Time because left. time zones work on a grade all, like that. They're not, they're not, no, by, they're not, we're in the same they're not time quantum. Zone. We're not slaves to time zones. We're talking about actual time. Yes. Ben is in the past slightly, just like I, people in California no, are that, further in the past. Or is he in the, yeah, he's in the past. No. Yeah, and then Hawaii is, is even more so in the past. Because Somewhere enjoying... there's a really bad Chris Nolan pitch in exactly. here. It's, was... it's Time Zones, the movie. I enjoyed growing up in Ohio because we, since we were the furthest west of the eastern time zone, except for the sun never went down. Yeah, basically, like sunset was like at nine thirty or ten o'clock in the summer. I mean, we don't count Indiana. Indiana's strange. It's in like fifteen different time zones. Uh, It used to be flavors of four, Um, right? Because central, central with and without daylight savings. It was only three. It was only without daylight savings. Yeah, it was only three. It was Eastern with or without Daylight Savings and Central with Daylight Savings. Okay. See, yeah, y- y'all are strange. Yeah, I was from one of the places with Daylight Savings, so okay. I was normal. As normal as you can be from Indiana. Says the guy from Ohio. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this banter has nowhere to go because we both left. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> is this is this as mean as Midwest uh, state on state uh, banter gets? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my one of my favorites was uh, friends from from Kentucky. Their their trash talk about Indiana was was it was so so adorable at the time. It was what keeps Kentucky from following falling into Tennessee. Indiana oh. sucks. <laughs> that was we were like aw you guys are so cute you're funny uh, let's get to it though hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast I'm Adam Taylor joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley we are all from blackandredunited.com where you can find us writing about DC United us and more we have a much bigger staff and, and it's growing um, which is always fun, or has been growing in recent times, which is great. Uh, we write about DC United, we write about MLS, we write about the U.S. national teams, and we're going to have a lot of coverage of the Women's World Cup coming up. So be sure to check out the site, blackandredunited.com, for all your soccer needs. We've got a, got a good show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about DC United's uh, MLS play last week, two games. They beat Orlando City 2-1 to and lost in stoppage time at Philadelphia one to nothing. They've got two more games coming up uh, next week, and we're going to talk about both of those just in case we can't get to uh, the midweek game next week. We'll we'll, we'll touch on it at least. Um, Before we get to our Twitter box, we're going to throw open uh, the show to your questions submitted on Twitter earlier today. Before we do anything, though, Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? From time to time, I like to go back to old classics because it is my way. You're not drinking Boone's Farm, are you? <laughs> when have I ever had Boone's Farm on this podcast? I'm thinking old classics like stupid stuff you got drunk on in college. Oh, no. Or high school. 
No, I, I'm not drinking the blue deliciousness that is Boone's Farm. Although that's, I'll put that away for a future podcast. <laughs> Maybe, hopefully, in the far distant future, if we ever need a uh, semi-equivalent to straight shots of vodka, maybe I'll get into some Boone's Farm. But oh, I was thinking when we dedicate an episode to the U23 team. There you go. That could also be a possibility. <laughs> but no, I'm going back to an old standby. I'm just drinking a Manhattan. Uh, I haven't had one in a while on the podcast, and I haven't had one in a while in real life either. So, yeah, I'm just going with a All right. classic Manhattan. All right. And that's impressive considering your air conditioning is broken because that is not necessarily a warm weather drink. True, and, but it's it, – it, I make them strong enough that it's having the effect of making me not care so much about the fact that my air conditioning is broken. Excellent. Yeah, two-thirds of the show is dealing with broken air conditioners because I am also dealing with that. I went, uh, instead of the liquor route, I went with a beer tonight. Uh, when I was at Costco in D.C. Uh, recently, I found they have they have a nice selection of uh, larger format uh, bottles, like more than a pint in size. Um, and one of the offerings that I hadn't seen there before that they have now is Three Stars Brewing Peppercorn Saison, which is a very good beer. And I saw that there, so I grabbed it, and that is what I'm drinking on the show tonight. DC Zone, Three Star Brewing. Haven't I had that on the show? Bar- you have had, had that on the Costco? show. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know. You didn't tell me you got it at Costco. Yeah, I bought it at the Costco. Uh, I had I no never idea. been to that Costco, but I went the over one, there. The one actually in DC? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Okay, I, I just had I went over there it. and I found out that my membership had lapsed, so I had to go sort that out, and then I went and bought several beers. Yeah, I have. We I got a Duval, I got a Delirium, I got a, an Arrogant Bastard, I got something else, yeah. and I got the Peppercorn Saison. I get they Costco in all things has a rotating selection. Yeah. They never if you go there two weeks in a row, there's going to be a lot of differences. Um. And and so I just had missed it every time I'd been, and this week it was there, so that was nice. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I went to, what was it? I guess it was yesterday. I went to pick up some beers after drinking all of my beer uh, after the loss to Philadelphia. Um, so I ended up finding that Firestone Walker Brewing. Uh, all of a sudden, a lot of their beers have become available, whereas before it was just like one IPA. Um, you might recognize them as just they're, they're the beer that has a bear and a lion uh, attempting to fight each other on their logo or on their on their label, I, I should say. Um, but uh, they're California. That's where the bear comes from. I don't know the lion. I, I don't know. Maybe it's British. Maybe it's a British guy in California. I don't know enough about them to know that. But it is or a lion Dutch or Belgian. Yeah, a lion the and a bear are definitely trying to fight. Um, but this is uh, their uh, Pale 31. It's a California Pale Ale. It's pretty good. Um, it's definitely more of a session beer. Um, then uh, it's not too hoppy. It's not too strong, but it's not as thin as a lager. Um, it's pretty good. It's it's uh it turned out to be a very good choice for summertime drinking. Uh, not that I I guess today was the last of the warm days, and that we're going to get a less warm uh, few days. But this was a warm one, and I've now got a beer that's helpful in that in that regard, though. Uh, unlike you guys, I have working air conditioning. Yeah, luckily over the next couple of days, it's going to matter less that my air conditioning is broken, yes. and hopefully 
by Thursday it'll be fixed. If not, then I will be complaining more, and you all will laugh at me. Before that happens, though, let's talk some soccer. Last week, DC United played two soccer games, as I mentioned earlier. First one, they won 2-1 to one at RFK over Orlando City Soccer Club, and nobody was happier than Ben Bromley. The second one, they lost one to nothing at Philadelphia in stoppage time, and we were all sad. I don't think Ben Bromley felt it any more more harshly or or less harshly than anyone. But no, I, I was in line with everybody else. Yeah, that that one you weren't you weren't special. You were just one of the herd. The goat so herd. in the Orlando City game, DC United came from behind to beat the Lions at RFK. Uh, Chris Rolfe and uh, Kofi Opari scoring the goals in that one. When they went up to Philly, they rotated basically half the squad out and uh, failed to produce much of anything, losing in stoppage time, one to nothing, to the Union. I want to talk about that squad rotation first. Ben, no shots on goal in Philly. It was almost an exact opposite of the game against Orlando City where they recorded one shot on goal at RFK. Um, completely different reasons, I think, for for those two things. But how predictable were we going forward in Philly? I mean, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. The whole the whole team seemed like they were stuck in molasses a little bit. Uh, they were a little slow. They were predictable. Uh, Chris Rolfe couldn't pull off any moments of magic, and that's what United was trying to rely on uh, in that game. And he was good, but he wasn't OMG amazing headband good. And so other than that, they didn't really have any other options. Uh, I think we're seeing the limitations of Jairo Arrieta over these last couple of games. He can be an exciting option off the bench, but when you give him a full game to play. Uh, he can get caught offside a lot. He can get frustrated if he doesn't have more weapons around him. He's a fine player, but he's not one that you can really look to lead the line. If he's the focus of your attack, you've got some problems. Exactly, exactly. And, I mean, Marcus Halsey looked fine, and I think he's going to look better as he integrates more in the team, but it's the, it was his first start, and so... I understand why he wasn't necessarily just pinging balls around, making all the tackles, things like that. He played fine, and I expect him to play better. But it was just, you could tell it was a team that a lot of those parts hadn't had a lot of time together, and without a cert, without uh, Fabiana Spindola, without other players, it was a little rough. Yeah, and it and it should be said the the game winner came with United on ten men after Luis Silva went off the field injured. Well, and we have uh, a at, question about that in the Twitter box a little later. Yeah, um, well, we'll 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 get back to it later. Uh, this next question for Jason, I want to point out, is me being a really good host because I'm referencing something you wrote on the site. Um, should DC United just burn the tape on on this game in Philly and and move on, or or is there something to be gained? from uh, really drilling into this performance? Well, I, I'm of the opinion that you should never throw out the tape. I, I think that that idea maybe makes fans feel better, but it's a terrible practice for a soccer team or any sports team. Um, you can always learn more about what you're doing. Um, 
what what you're trying to do, what your what players work together, what what doesn't work. Um, there's always something new to be learned, and and this was a game that uh, I think the the lessons that are there are are not necessarily. Uh, it, it's kind of a weird set of lessons because there's some of them are for the coaching staff, some of them are for individual players. Um, Olsen, uh, I think, may come come to regret. Um, well, at the time, I at the time of writing, I thought uh, he was resting Nick DeLeon. It turns out DeLeon's injury that was being protected is actually not just a let's keep him out for one game so he can play the next. It was it's a an actual injury um, that'll keep him out for maybe the next two games. It looks like rather than just the one, um, or maybe three. It could be three, yeah, because of the amount of games in such a short period. Yeah. Um, but uh, having DeLeon and um, Sean Franklin out at the same time, uh, United is kind of a, is more right-sided than left-sided in terms of generating offense, and those are, are starting, you know, under normal circumstances, that's the starting right uh, flank. And, right. and when you say generating offense, you mean the build-up to play. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Finishing our, our, comes more from the left than the right, but yes. the build-up, the creation is on the right side. Yeah, and it's not... United isn't. I, I maybe shouldn't shouldn't say indicate that it's too heavy of a difference. United is is actually one of the more balanced teams in the league, but the attack does lean to the right. Um, and to not have De Leon in there connecting uh, everyone together with with his ability to combine, uh, not just his ability but his desire to combine. Um, he really that's that's the the game he wants to play is um, what used to be called pass and move. Um, you know, short combinations. Um, keep, everyone's moving. No one's keeping the ball very much. Um, Sean Franklin has been has kind of gone under the radar, but he seems to have a knack for um, creating shooting opportunities for other people, and not just from hitting crosses. When, when you think of a fullback creating shots, generally you just think crosses. But Franklin doesn't really cross that often, or that particularly that well. Um, but he still is creating offense um, week in and week out. It's kind of he's kind of. Um, I mean, according to Oppa, he is the most likely player over 90 minutes to create a shot on goal for DC United, which is bizarre um, for multiple reasons. But uh, I, you can't really question that it's been an effective thing for United. Uh, so those two being out, certainly uh, we learned a lesson about that that we're going to have to find a solution to because Daly is not going to play against New England or against Portland. Uh, at the very at the very best, that that's the that's what's going to happen. Um, Franklin, who knows if he can play at this at at this point in his career? If can he play back to back games on turf? Um, it's hard to say. Um, so that's a problem that needs solving. Um, and and we'll learn for for future rotations that um, maybe Franklin ro- rests the game that DeLeon plays and vice versa. If you've got to split them up for. Or, or if you've decided we're going to put all our eggs in one game basket, then you have to go. If they were both available, for example, I would say play them against New England because it's a conference game and then rest them in Portland because it's not a conference game. MLS has sort of forced teams to take that, make that choice and say, you know, this game against the Western Conference, I just don't even care. Um, which it, they don't, they do care, but it, it's nowhere near as important as an in conference match. Um, it's gravy. Yeah, basically. You're, you're, you're at, you know those points count, but you're not denying anyone points, so it's really you know it's half as valuable. Um, but uh, the other the other thing I would look at is someone like Miguel Aguilar. Um, I think he's going to learn a lot from this game because he's going to remember the fact that he just couldn't get himself. He 
he couldn't get himself involved and the team didn't get him involved as much. Um, and it's sort of a two-way street where as a wide player, you've got to do, you've got to make runs that invite the team to find you, um, that make it so that they can't not find you. Basically you have to make it so you're, you're not going to be forgotten because otherwise the, especially on a team that wants to stay narrow, like DC does, you're going to get lost. Um, pretty often if you, if you don't make your teammates find you. Um, on the other hand, you know, they should have been looking his way a little more often because we saw in flashes that uh, even even when, you know, Aguilar hit the post on a situation where he, he, made, he made a bad decision uh, not to pass, he should have sent Arrieta through on goal, and he still turned that into a shot, the, the best chance of the game that wasn't involving Alan Kelly deciding to call a goal back for who knows why. Um, so Aguilar's got a knack for for you know coming up with online you know against Orlando it was a similar thing. Um, his first action in the game was to dribble into the box, get a crowd of four or five people, and then still create a shooting opportunity. Um, just it was one of those was like wait how did he how did he complete that pass you know how did this pass get through anyone? Um, some players just have a knack for that, and he appears to have it. And on a night where it's not working, where Rolf is okay. Um, and that's about it. That's about all you can say for your entire offense. You've got to start looking at other options. You've got to say, well, let's just feed Aguilar for the next 10 minutes. Let's just keep sending the ball his way and see what happens because it's not everything else wasn't working. Um, but at the same time, he's got to earn. He's got to earn that. So it's not just on the rest of the team. It's also on him when he's going to start. Um, and, and he's got to learn to deal with the situation where they, the, when you start a game. You have you you can define how the game is going to be, whereas when you're coming in off the bench, the game is defined and it's your chance to sort of tear that apart and and change things. Um, so far, Aguilar looks like he's very comfortable at being that guy that can change how a set change something that's already sort of um, settled into place. But when the game is yet to be settled, when it's it's up in the air as to who's going to be in charge, who's going to you know how the game is going to go. He doesn't necessarily seize the game at that point, and that's. But that's a, a young player. Um, that's something that happens to young players a lot. It's a common issue, um, and he's going to have to find that as he grows up because his skill set is he's he's the kind of guy that can terrorize teams if he finds a way to apply himself regularly. Um, if he finds a way to make his dribbling ability a factor over and over again. Teams are not going to know. He becomes a kind of player where you're just like, we. I hope he doesn't get the ball because once he gets it, we're in trouble. Um, he's not. He's. I don't know that he's got the ceiling of a Fabian Castillo, but he can certainly follow in that that profile, if not necessarily to the heights of Castillo, where you, you wonder if Castillo is even going to be in the league for another year because you assume somebody is going to offer mm-hmm. Dallas a lot of money. Um, but but Aguilar can still be that sort of disruptive force where a team's game plan for him isn't let's do X, Y, and Z to stop him. It's just, let's not let him have the ball because if he has it, we're screwed. Um, that's where he, he, that's what he should be aiming for in his career. And, and this game against Philadelphia kind of illustrated that there's a long way to go on that path. It's not to say that he can't do it. It's just that, you know, the progress has to keep coming. Um, just getting one start and hitting a post and, you know, earlier in the week winning a foul that turns into a goal those are those things are nice, but it has to be consistent um, game in and game out. And during eight, within the games, he has to be a little more consistent too. Yeah, and like you said, that's an issue for young players. Mm-hmm. Uh, consistency is is one of the last things to come. Young players with a lot of potential always show flashes before they 
turn those flashes into sustained bursts and then make it just the regular. Um, so promise for Aguilar, but I, I think it is a, as much fun as he is in his substitute appearances. It is still early to, to see him displace anyone as a preferred starter on this team, um, especially a team that, that is, whether it's sexy or not, as good as DC United is. Uh, let's go back to that Orlando game. Uh, I mentioned earlier that the team only gave up one shot on goal the entire game, and of course it it did turn into a goal for Kyle Lahren. Uh, but but the story was really Ben Olsen's substitutes. Chris Rolfe, Miguel Aguilar, Jairo Arrieta all came in, and all of them made a difference off the substitutes bench. It was actually a little bit like uh, the 2012 run-in where Ben Olsen, just any sub he made, created a huge impact. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't see that trend continue in Philadelphia, uh, which was among the more, well, I'm not going to put a year on <laughs> the analog for, for that. Um, last thing I want to talk about, though, is is the injuries that are going on. Jason, you mentioned that, that Nick DeLeon is sidelined for the next week or two. Uh, Luis Silva, it sounds like, is going to be out two to three weeks with a hamstring issue he suffered uh, at Philadelphia. Fabiana Spindola out for who knows how long. It could be another week. It could be two weeks. It could be more. We don't know at this point. We know he took a knock against the crew, and his his knee was black and blue in training is what we've heard. Um, But we don't really have anything more specific than that. Ben, how bad are these injuries going to hurt over the next few weeks? I mean, I think in the short term, and it's luckily it's lucky that he's coming back first. I think the Nick DeLeon one is the most systemically damaging one. I think Michael Farfan is a good player, but I still think Nick DeLeon has an edge at that position, at the uh, right midfield position, maybe. Uh, Farfan has an advantage over DeLeon in central midfield, but I think DeLeon still brings a lot of things that Farfang doesn't uh, out wide, and so having having him coming back is going to be important for this team. Um, Silva, uh, they've been able to get by without Silva. I think Chris Rolfe can do a lot of things that Silva can do, Um, and there's a lot of other things that... Uh, there's a lot of other methods that uh, Ben Olsen can turn to to try and uh, change his secondary striker. But Fabiano Spindola being out, obviously, is is a big deal. Um, like we've said before, Jairo Arrieta is good in bursts, but it's, it's a very game-to-game thing about how well he's going to play. Um, maybe we'll see Chris Pontius back up front as that... Uh, leading the line uh, and partnering with Chris Rolfe over Hira Arrieta. I mean, at this point, I might prefer that, um, at least for the next game. And, yeah, we'll see what happens. But And and this injury, I mean, obviously you can't predict an injury, but it just, it just makes even more sour the fact that he was suspended for those first six games. I mean, the team obviously did well, so results-wise, it, it wouldn't have changed much. But just the, the 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 feeling in your gut is a little sour that now he missed those six games and now he's missing more games uh, due to injury. Yeah, Jason, anything to add before we move on to New England? 
Uh, I mean, the, the injuries certainly shortened the number of options, the number of looks that we can throw uh, at New England and Portland in these two games because uh, without DeLeon, you're, you've got Farfan and Aguilar can play on the right. That's that's about it. Well, Jason, um, let, let me let me steal the hosting chair from Adam real quick and ask you a question. All right. Do you think there's any chance that we see Davey Arnault in a unexpected position? No. Okay, not central midfield. Maybe. I mean, it, the problem is that uh, to play him on the wing, uh, we'd have to bring in that four-one-three-two formation again, and, and even then, it's kind of a stretch. Other than as a defensive move, um, and that means Farfan has to play in the middle, which means you're back to the same number of wide men that you had before. Uh, where Connor Doyle is probably going to be playing, you know, more than 30 minutes in one of these games. Um, but that's, that's you know, there's not that much depth there. As I mean, uh, Facundo Coria, we don't know if his paperwork is even going to be cleared by then. Um, that's a variable. Um, I don't think the Argentine uh, FA has been bad at that in the past with MLS, but you never really know um, until the guy is the guy until the team says, Hey, this guy is eligible to play. Um, but, but as far as Arnaud ability, ability to play that many spots, I, I just, I don't really see it happening. Um, unless United is just in, you know, really dire straits where we've only got central midfielders that are healthy. Uh, and then at that point you have to start, uh, looking at doing whatever you can, but, um, I, it's a tough spot. We might see I, the thing that occurs to me right now is actually the possibility of seeing seeing someone like Taylor Kemp even um, having to play a few minutes as a left midfielder. But then that gets into the lack of fullbacks because we've only got three. Um, mm-hmm. Unless Jalen Robinson gets recalled from from Richmond, or or maybe Luke Mishu uh, gets recalled from Richmond. If one of those two isn't called in, then um, you don't get the you know the idea of resting a full, one of the three fullbacks in both games kind of goes away if Kemp is spending time at left midfield. So it's not a good time to have injuries uh, when you're playing two games uh, on turf that are on opposite coasts because MLS four days is, is awesome. Um, I mean, if MLS scheduling was scheduling your life, they would you know ask you to be at work. Uh, until five, and then be home at five ten. But also, your home is now in New Jersey. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what they're trying to do other than destroy the players that are in the league. But uh, that's life in MLS, I guess. Um, so, I guess to answer the question, no, I don't think Arnaud's going to play anywhere but the middle. Um, but we may see some odd looks, um, especially towards the end of the Portland game. I, I don't even know what that's going to look like. Um, Doyle. Is probably going to be. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see Doyle start that game just out of necessity, just to have someone that is fresh, and also the fact that I assume that we're going to go all in on the Revs game, which means the Portland game is going to be mostly about defending and um, grinding and living up to the stereotype of DC United that is out there, um, and that means a guy like Connor Doyle and his willingness to run and uh, and chase things is going to be important. Whether it is as a striker or as a winger, I don't know. It's also a midweek game that's going to end after midnight on the East Coast. So nobody's going to be able to watch it. There will be zero people watching that game at the end of it. We'll we'll all be watching it. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to watch the game. Yeah. I I, I love DC After Dark, but... We have problems, clearly. Many, 
men. Oh, some of you other people that are going to go to bed at a reasonable hour and get up at a reasonable hour feeling good and, and well-rested, I don't understand you. But you probably don't understand me. Yeah, see, I, I try to go to bed at a reasonable hour, but I'm woken up by a one-year-old. Yes. That's uh, different. And, and never, ever wake up feeling well-rested <laughs> and, and alert. That's just not a thing, Jason. I think you're creating a false dichotomy to, to see no, your I've own seen, I've seen these people. I've seen them out and about in the morning. Uh, they're faking it. Every one of them. Maybe, or maybe they're they're uh, they're doing some sort of hard drugs that I that I don't bother with. I just drink coffee, but uh, maybe that's not enough. I watched I, Goodfellas last night. It was on. Adam, <laughs> do all new parents just do cocaine? Is that like issued to you at the hospital? Um, <laughs> Prescribed. I don't want to say sadly no, uh, <laughs> but no. I feel like that would just add a new wrinkle to the, the weirdness of being a new parent. You, you have an extra level of paranoia that you probably don't need. I mean, yeah, what is the spoon for, and how do I make this lighter work? And, and Oh, you want to inject cocaine, okay. I know that's freebasing, and that's a little different, but... Let's see, yeah. Anyway, DC United at the New England <laughs> Revolution this Saturday, 7.30 p.m. It's on Comcast Sportsnet, Mid-Atlantic, and MLS Live if you are outside of the local whatever Which reaches from apparently, like, Canada to... Delaware to the South Carolina or something. Who knows? These are the top two teams in the East, though. Uh, the Revs have gone nine games unbeaten with DC United's loss. They now replace DC United on that metric as the hottest team in at least the Eastern Conference. I think the the entire league. Their last loss was in Week Two at NYC FC LOL BBQ on March fifteenth. Uh, that said, they've failed to win their last two games against very beatable opponents. They they drew at Orlando and at home against Toronto FC. Um, Toronto FC, of course, rewarded for their huge nine-game road trip to start the season with a single home date and then back on the road. The MLS uh, scheduler. Yeah. Just sitting around laughing. They are assholes, the MLS <laughs> schedulers. They really, really are. We're going to get more into that in the next one. Um, so the Revs, there's a lot of things to talk about. The thing I want to hit off the top, though, is is former D.C. United striker and former possibly future U.S. men's national team striker, Charlie Davies. His speed isn't totally back, but he is bagging goals. He's adapted to whatever his new top-line speed is, and his movement and his soccer IQ uh, are, are, frankly, off the charts. They're, they're really, really good. Um, ben, are you happy to see Chuck D doing well? Do you, are you afraid of him this coming weekend? What are your thoughts on on the the stanky leg and Charlie Davies. I mean, yeah, I, even though he's not in DC United at DC United anymore and he's playing for Matt Reese's New England Revolution. Um can we still call them Matt Reese's New England Revolution? <laughs> yes. You, you know he's an assistant with the Galaxy now, so if you want to hate on the team, you can always hate the Galaxy. But I always already hate the Galaxy. Now you can hate them a little more. And I think you're going to hate the Revs, whether or not you associate them with, he was with Matt with, Reese. He was with the Revs since 1957. I mean, it's Matt <laughs> Reese's New England Revolution. Is that, like, is that like a band? Matt Reese and the Revolution? It, it, it could be. I mean, is that, is that like... Prince, which is a, not a common mistake. 
Is that like <laughs> Bill Haley and the Crickets? Comets? I don't know. Comet, I, I, if ever, if ever like crickets that. were appropriate in the background, <laughs> that was it. I'm sorry, my knowledge of 50s bands is not up to snuff. But regardless, I am happy to see Charlie Davies doing well. Uh, I think I think basically any fan of the U.S. national team uh, is happy to see Charlie Davies doing well. He was obviously in an awful car crash, an awful personal situation for a long time, and it's good to see that he has eventually refound his game, reinvented his game, and been able to be an effective starter, an effective professional soccer player, uh, even if it has to be for Matt Reese's New England Revolution. <laughs> um, you know, they, they're just as dislikable if you call them Jay Heap's New England Revolution. Much more, I would say. <laughs> just the fact that you don't like it is, I'm going to go with it further. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured. <laughs> Matt Reese's Goat Revolution. I mean, what? God damn it. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm happy for Chuck. Um, I don't think he's that close to a, to coming back to the national team, um, especially with Jurgen in charge. But even no, in, with Jurgen in charge, he could be on the cusp. Well, you never know with Jurgen. Yeah, sure. it's, That's it's a total thing. wild card. Sure. I mean, he's going to play defensive midfielder for for Klinsman, but but he might make the team. True, he but could be in the Gold Cup. Very true, but I mean, I feel like I don't know. I feel like other other players are more up there, but yeah, I, like you all just said, who knows with Jurgen? So, Jason, the Rebs. Um, if if you read Matt Doyle or any analytics. Um, Matt Reese? Kind of commentary. No, not Matt Reese. He doesn't Matt write about does analytics. Matt Reese not write a column. If he does, it doesn't include analytics. I promise you. I hope I hope Matt Reese's column is about how much he dislikes Ben Bromley. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best. That would be the best possible scenario. The Revs, if you read these various places, are all about the attacking third. They, they have more passes in the attacking third than anybody else. They have the highest pass completion percentage in the attacking third. They're all about pressing to make sure they get recoveries in the attacking third. But they also send in a buttload of crosses. They're they're a team that passes and passes and passes and then gets the ball out wide and crosses anyway. Jason, can you explain to me how this is successful? (laughs) Because it seems like two anachronistic styles. Usually when you get teams that are intricate and love passing the ball in the attacking third, they're going to come up the gut. Or, or at least not get get shots not from crosses. They're not going to to pass it around the top of the box and then say, "Oh, screw it," and just put it out wide and cross it in. Is that what the Revs are doing? Are they saying "screw it" and after kind of dinking it around for a while, or is this a deliberate strategy? Well, I, I will say that I, I don't know that the, the the Revs are a weird team because I don't think that they actually meet the requirements of being considered intricate because they're kind of in a rush to get forward. Um, the middle third, they, they don't really want to spend any time there. They don't play over the top. The ball's not in the air. But they're trying to get through there as quickly as possible, and they're trying to get the ball out of the middle, despite playing three central midfielders. Um, when Jermaine, Especially when Jermaine Jones is playing um, as a central midfielder rather than center back, which happened recently. I think they're, they've dropped that now. Um, but he looks to swing the ball out to the wing as soon as he possibly can. Um, 
they're trying to turn. It's sort of like DC in that the middle, the middle of uh, the middle of the field, the center, the center of the central third is really what we're looking at. Um, it's sort of like a no-go area. They just want to get past it as fast as possible. They don't want to. They're not that interested in playing there. Um, they want to shift the ball forward into the attacking third, and then after that, um, this season they've become more. Um, maybe because Lee Wynn hasn't played to MVP levels uh, as he did last year, um, they've been more willing to shift the ball wide. Um, Chris Tierney has been a factor coming up from left back. Uh, they've added uh, London Woodbury has has helped quite a bit. Um, yet another one of FC Dallas's many uh, homegrown players that they gave up on almost immediately, and it turns out was, that was a mistake um, because now he's the starting right back for the Revs, and he would also be the best right back available for the FC Dallas, uh, who will start Javon Watson or Atiba Harris there. So that's good for them. Um, but anyway, um, the, the main thing I think that that's sort of forced them to become a team that hits so many crosses right now is that that's where the, their form players are, and they're just sort of following that form. Um, Teal Bunbury has really come into his own as a right winger rather than as a, you know, he was a center forward for a few years now. I think um, I don't think Heaps has given him more than 10 minutes as a center forward uh, this entire season, and it was never as a start. Um, not that Bunbury is dribbling. It's, he's not playing as a um, eye-popping skill uh, sort of winger. He's not dribbling past people. He's not embarrassing anyone. He, he knows what he's good at. He's fast. He's strong. And he just tries to get past his man and then put the ball in. Um, and the good thing about being strong in that scenario is that even if someone is as fast as you, even if they've read your intentions, if you guys both get to the same spot at the same time and it's shoulder to shoulder, Teal Bunbury is probably going to be able to knock. Most fullbacks in MLS are not going to be able to deal with that. And he's going to be able to hold them off or knock them aside and then um, put in his cross. And the other thing is that when we think crosses, we tend to think of headers. The revs don't fire. They, they don't put in that kind of cross. The crosses are driven um, and they're for runners. So you've got... Davies running onto the ball. You've got Juan Agudelo, or or if Agudelo's hitting the cross, it's Teal Bunbury on the back the back uh, post. Um, so you've got guys that have been center forwards running onto both posts, um, which is a, a, another wrinkle. They they don't play it. They don't play their formation as a four three three, but they are playing guys that three. Their two wingers have both played as center forwards. That they have extensive experience there. Juan Agudelo, before he left uh, the Rebs previously, was the better center forward this season, Davies is, has pushed him out to the wing. And so guys like Kellen Rowe and Diego Fagundes aren't even getting into games as more than substitutes, especially Fagundes, who's barely playing, um, which is crazy, um, given which where he was. Which is probably why he was not on the Uruguay U20 uh, call-up list most right. recently. He got snubbed there. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's hard Although to... Although it's, it it's maybe not a snub, because he's not getting on the field for the Revs either. Right, Um and that's been a strange that's been a strange situation in and of itself. I don't think he's necessarily going to be someone we have to spend too much time on because he's just not going to play. Um, but I think the main thing for the Revs is that they want to get the ball into the attacking third as quickly as possible, but they don't want to just thump long balls uh, in the air because Davies, as much as he's got great balance and he's got plenty of physical strength, he's not going to go up and win headers against typical center backs. Um, it's kind of a waste of time for the Revs to play that sort of long ball. So what they try and do is just play through the midfield on the ground as quickly as possible and then 
after that, you're just looking for who's open and who's getting into a good spot. And lately, that has been Bunbury more than most. Um, and then Agudelo after that. Uh, Lee Wynn has really just sort of been a distributor uh, and, not, and not even a setup man um, because his form, he, he just, it's not there for him right now. He's not feeling it. Um, his contract situation may be uh, weighing on him. He basically he wants more money, and the Revs said, no, go back and play. And there's been an issue there. Um, so I, I can't say for sure what's up with him, but I know that the Revs are going to try and play uh, high-speed soccer. They were going to want to fly through the midfield to get to the attacking third. That's all they want. Um, I think part of that, too, is to cover up the fact that they're not actually that good at defending. Um, if you make them defend for long periods of time, they, aren't, they don't really look comfortable at all. Um, Jose Gonzalez doesn't look like the player he was when he won uh, Defender of the Year. Andrew Farrell... Andrew Farrell suddenly started getting a lot of praise for his play at center back, and, and I didn't get it. I thought he just got a little better from being bad um, at the start of the year. Um, he's definitely doing a decent job, but he's not doing anything special. Um, he still looks like someone who's got a lot to learn at the position. Um, so they're, they're weak there. Um, Chris Tierney has never been the most comfortable defender. He's not particularly fast for a fullback. Um, Woodbury still only has like six or seven MLS appearances, or it's probably more like 10, 15, somewhere in there, but it's not many. And a lot of them are substitute appearances. So, um, it's an inexperienced, um, group back there in terms of, of, well, half of them are inexperienced at the positions they're playing anyway. Um, so, so it's sort of a two pronged approach. They're trying to cover up the fact that they're not actually that great at the art of defending, but they also know that this is this is what the revs the, the the players they have are good at this um, streaking through the midfield and get, getting into the box and then making things happen uh, from there. But they definitely don't want to have long passing buildups. They're not going to try to string twenty five passes together. So how do you if you're DC United how do you beat the revs? What's the game plan, especially considering the matchup nightmare that is. Teal Bunbury versus either Chris Corb or especially Taylor Kemp. And the fact that they outnumber us in midfield and their midfielders, you know, don't suck. Uh, I mean, the, the, you've got to get a hold of the control or the, the pace of the, the game. Um, if the game is fast, the Rebs are going to have the advantage. Um, it doesn't help that playing on turf automatically lends itself to a more hectic sort of game. Um, keeping a keeping a really good eye on how much space there is between, not just between the lines, but also um, from sideline to sideline. United wants to keep this game narrow um, and keep it com- compact and make, the, and make the Revs actually play in the middle because they don't really want to. They want to get the ball forward and wide. Um, and United should want to make them, try and, try and make it so they can't, those lanes aren't there um, the, you know, make it so that the the pass can't get to the runner that that's presented himself for as an option. Um, someone's going to have to deal with Davies. Some um, they're going to have the, the Boswell and probably Opare. Um, it's a complicated um, trade off with him because he's so mobile and he can go. Um, he's he's not a player that has a tendency to go one way or the other. He will pop up wherever he feels like he should. Um, you've got the fact that he could peel out wide and. Bunbury or Agudelo can come in, so um, communication is going to be big. Um, but also, United has to get a hold of the ball and and keep it for a while um, against Philly, and even even really, it's been the whole season. United's kind of struggled to have a lot of possession. Um, 
against Orlando at the very end, we saw a little bit of it where they basically just passed the ball around until the game was over. Um, yeah, the LAs actually came out at RFK right. Stadium, which and, was really nice to hear. Right, and, and it, it's kind of a, an unusual occurrence with this team um, to, to make a team chase like that. But um, in this game, I would say that that needs to happen earlier because the, the more that the Revs are standing around without the ball, um, the more that the game is going slow, the more they tend to lose their way a little bit. Um, they tend to start to rush things. When they do get the ball, they all of a sudden think, this is my chance, and they try and force things that aren't there. Um, the other thing is you've got to close down Jermaine Jones. Um, you can't let him swing the ball out to the wings because he's he always he's a good knack for waiting people to, waiting for the team to collapse on him, and then he plays the ball out wide, and all of a sudden whoever it is he's passing to has a ton of space to do something. And is this Phil- what is this regardless of which position he's in, or specifically so, if he's in the midfield? It's more in the midfield, but um, to a certain extent he can do it. He has more of an opening to do it as a center back. Um, but I think he's less inclined to do it as a center back um, because it's a, it's a little bit of a more difficult pass. You're talking, you know, you're adding 10, 15 yards to the pass. Um, things change a little bit. You're not, you also can't draw in as many people. You can't get an yeah. entire midfield to collapse on you. Um, and the, the other thing um, that I, w- I would point out is with Scott Caldwell there, he's available as well. Um, United really needs to make sure that he has a, um, a difficult time just making simple passes. He's been very good about staying deep and being disciplined and letting Jermaine Jones and Lee Wynn have a little more freedom. Um, and he also is the guy that their defense looks to to connect those, you know, Jones and Wynn. That's the connection between the back four is is Caldwell. And if you can make his life difficult, if you can make it so that he's not making easy passes to everyone, all of a sudden the Rebs can't find the guys that are going to play those vertical passes through everyone. And, you know, the whole thing kind of, I wouldn't say it breaks down completely, but it slows down at that point. Um, so finding a way to, to get her, and that's going to involve the forwards more than anyone else, unless unless Olsen um, opts for the 4-1-3-2 uh, that we saw in Vancouver that defended as a 4-1-4-1, um, which, which should be on the table to a certain extent, though I don't know that we have the, I don't know if we have enough available people to pull it off. But um, certainly stopping Jones and Caldwell from from dictating that the game, the Revs get to play their vertical game, that's really going to be important for United for the entire 90 minutes. And, and just having a a smarter performance than we saw against Philadelphia, um, maybe more like what we saw against Columbus, where United mm. saw, saw the danger every single time and Columbus just couldn't figure it out. Um, being the smarter team in this one is going to be big because if if all things are even, the revolution and their their pace of play on turf, that's a that's a problem. That's too much of an advantage um, to let things be even in that regard. So United has to be smarter, much smarter than we saw against Philadelphia, and even I would say even smarter than we saw against Orlando. All right, that does it for our preview of of that game. Uh, We are going to, I think, dispense with the preview of the game four days later at Portland. We'll we'll have that for you next week. Uh, Until then, suffice it to say that, um, well, that game, if you're not listening to next week's episode in time, Wednesday night, 1030 on Comcast Sportsnet and MLS Live, uh, hashtag DCU After Dark, hashtag on a school night, hashtag thanks. MLS schedulers. Uh, I will say that the Timbers are currently ninth in the West, second from the bottom. 
13 points from 11 games. In those 11 games, they've scored all of 10 goals and given up 12. They are more Benny Ball than Benny Ball uh, as far as the statistics are concerned. So uh, we'll have a more detailed preview for you next week. Uh, For the rest of this show, though, let's open the Twitter box. Um, Stephen Streff, our very own Stephen Streff, uh, from the site, asks, what beer or alcohol drinks should we bring on May 30th? Of course, May 30th is when we are having our tailgate meetup, the Black and Red United tailgate meetup at Lot 8 before the our chance for vengeance against the Philadelphia Union. So come out to that. Um, come out to RFK. Come out to Lot 8. Join us. Meet the three of us. Meet Stephen. Meet other writers from the site. Meet commenters and other readers from the site. It's going to be a lot of fun. So come out to that. And as for what beer or alcoholic beverages you can bring, whatever you damn well please. It, consider it potluck and BYOB. So whatever you like, bring your favorite drink. Bring 95% Everclear if you're Steven. Uh, bring something a little more refined and dignified if you're anybody else. Also, no, no cocaine. No, definitely not. Do not cocaine. bring cocaine anywhere near the Black and Red United uh, tailgate. There are other tailgates that would probably appreciate it more. Do bring Virginia beer, though. All right. If you want to make this a thing, Ben, we can make this a thing. Bring DC beer. Bring Three Stars. Bring DC Brow. Bring Atlas. Bring bring, bring the DC beers, is what I will say. I guess I'm now obliged to say you should bring Maryland beer. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, known for being hyper-competitive in all things. I, I think you're letting down Maryland a little bit there, Jason. Uh, we're confident in our chances. <laughs> Maryland does have bigger breweries than either Virginia, unless you want to count, you know, Budweiser. Don't, don't they have a no, brewery? No, I'm not, I'm not counting Budweiser. Don't bring Budweiser. When, 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 I, when I was in college, they would uh, one of the bars I would go to had a... Uh, Virginia uh, pint night where you could get any Virginia beer for a buck fifty, and they counted Bud, and they counted Budweiser and Bud Light, and they listed it on the menu as Budweiser Williamsburg, Virginia. And every time <laughs> I saw that, I was just like, no. I mean, they do have a brewery in Williamsburg, Virginia. I know. I went to college there, but no. I mean, obviously, you're right. All right, uh, our next question comes from uh, at in Cheyenne, uh, the C being a copyright C, uh, who asks, at filibuster DCU, who is to blame, if anyone, for the self-induced 10-man team at the end of the Philly game? Olsen, uh, Luis Silva, or someone else? Um what he's referring to, we mentioned earlier in the show, DC United had used all three subs when Luis Silva came up lame with a hamstring tweak, uh, leaving, you know, the, the, I will say once it was clear he had an, a hamstring injury, the right thing for the team and for Silva and morally was to remove Silva from the game and play the remaining few minutes a man down not to put him at greater risk for a longer-term injury by keeping him out there trying to struggle through. If it was the playoffs or especially MLS Cup, it would be a different story, Uh, maybe. But as it stands, once Silva's hamstring 
was injured, pulling him was absolutely the right call. Uh, that said, I don't know if I blame anyone necessarily. The subs needed to be made. DC United wasn't generating enough of a threat, and so using all three subs, I don't have enough. I have a problem with, and injuries happen sometimes. I think this is. I think this gets filed under one of those things. Yeah, uh, it's pretty difficult to, to. I mean, it's not like Olsen used his co- his subs all at halftime or something, and then the team was caught out for with the with the final couple minutes. Um, the last sub came in the 80th minute, which is a kind of a typical. Um, a pretty, it's a pretty average situation to see the third sub come at, at around that time. Um, so I, I, especially on a, on a when you're on your second game in four days, your third and eight, uh, you're going to see subs used a little earlier than normal. Um, and I don't, I don't know that the, there's anything that any coach in the league would have, uh, you know, see. No one saw this coming, obviously. Um, as far as whether it's Silva's fault at all. Um, there's no way for us to know because we don't know his off-the-field habits, but we know that in the off-season, the team clearly spent some amount of time looking into his his history because they found this vitamin deficiency that was cited um, in the preseason as as part of the the thing he had to do to come back completely. Um, so obviously they tried something. They they talked to experts. Um, you, you don't just come up with vitamin deficiency out of the blue. Um, that's not an that's not an injury thing that you hear about much at all, if ever, uh, in soccer. So I would like to see anyone at a job when they get a bad performance review, just cite vitamin deficiency. It's it's a vitamin deficiency, boss. I'll, let me let me get some more sun. Let me take some supplements, and and I'll I'll be better. I want to see that in any job, and in soccer, obviously, it makes sense. Um, as well, got a, lot of a thing, and I doubt he used it as an excuse. I'm, I'm guessing the team figured it out. But right. but I still want to see someone just throw that out. Like, you know, you get a bad grade. You know, to, to our students, our college and high school student listeners, when you get a bad grade, tell the teacher, vitamin deficiency. It's a thing. Totally a thing. It's totally a thing. I, I, will, I will say that... Um, I think that Silva's. I, I believe the quote after the game was that Silva. It was actually the other hamstring from the one yes. that was injured last year. Um, and he, for all I know, he could have a situation uh, that we've seen Chris Pontius require multiple surgeries to repair his hamstrings and get them where they need to be physiologically. You know, it was a, a situation where his hamstring was literally not lined up in a correct spot and was causing a nerve problem. It could be something like that, that that's causing the issue. Um, clearly, we are not doctors, so so these this is just stuff I've read. Other players having these issues. Um, there was a famous case in England uh, with Blackburn. There was a player named David Dunn who was notorious for having hamstring strains over and over again, and it turned out that he was having an issue with his back and his stride that needed correcting. Um, so these are these are all possibilities. Um, there's probably plenty of possibilities that we have no idea about. Um, it's hard to say because it doesn't. It doesn't look like Silva is, the, and there's no word of Silva being out of shape um, or not taking enough care of himself. Um, so it's impossible to really say that it's it's on him. It's just um, at this point, it, and it. There, I will say also that the team has had few hamstring strains. We're not Orlando with um, Orlando is now like the king of hamstring strains right now. Um, 
so clearly something's being done to prevent that in training. Um, there's various possible ways that that, that that can be dealt with. There's a lot of theory out there right now that that's starting to become known a little more outside of just the coaching world. Um, and maybe maybe that's part of it is that the rest of the team has really been mostly uh, healthy as far as the preventable injuries go. You know, you can't prevent Steve Birnbaum landing on his ankle uh, wrong. That's one that you can't really do anything about. Um, Silva, it's a it's a weird situation, and maybe that's why Olsen was so upset after the game, um, is because it's a situation that maybe they, the team thought they had figured out, and then it turned out that that was not an accurate, or not, not the complete picture. So that's going to be an ongoing mystery, I think, as far as what's up with Silva's hamstrings and, and his other muscular injuries, because it's not like he's only had hamstring problems. Everyone should go to WebMD and look up a hamstring strain and then email us all the possible conditions that uh, Luis Silva could have. And, of course, that email address is filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Our next question comes from Nolan Gonzalez. That's at Nolan Gonzalez on Twitter, who asks us, at filibusterdcu, which player will we see go from the bench to surpassing a starter after these busy months? Uh, and I think that's a good question. Um, I'm not totally sure that when it's all said and done, a player who started this came into the month of May as a, a starting the game on the bench is going to surpass anybody. We might see that happen. I, I guess Taylor Kemp technically started the month on the bench because Chris Corb's defensive prowess is much higher than Kemp's, and, and the trade-off for that defense for offense is, is something Ben Olsen is willing to make at that left fullback positions, uh, at least for now. Maybe Kemp uh, retakes his job from Corb, but beyond that, I'm not sure anybody's going to. I will say Chris Pontius is a player that a lot of people had tabbed to move to the bench, but he's looked better and better the last few weeks. I think he's going to end up keeping a job somewhere on the field. But I don't know. Ben, what do you think? Any bench players going to make their case in, in such a strong way that Ben Olsen cannot possibly bench them again? I think the only real possibility is Marcus Halstey. I think yeah, okay. if, he sure. gets, if he gets more and more game time, uh, he could mount a challenge to Dave Yarno. But I can see that going either way. I don't think Miguel Aguilar, for example, I, I don't think he'll secure a starting spot this year. I think he's been great off the bench, and I think it'll be a situation where Ben Olsen would love to have him as an option off the bench rather than having to use him as a starter this year. Because as we've talked about before, I think he makes this season he makes more of a difference coming off the bench. And other than that, yeah, I, I, I don't see – like, I don't see – Either of the center backs pushing Bobby Boswell to the bench, for example, that's not going to happen this year. Um, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, I mean Fabian Spindola is going to start when he's healthy, and yeah, other than that, I, yeah, I think Halsey is the only real possibility out there. Yeah, I will say to, to inverse invert the question, a starter or at least a presumed starter who could end up coming off the bench more regularly at the end of this spell, is Luis Silva. When he comes back healthy, I I don't know that there will be a starting spot for him unless Chris Rolfe, Chris Pontius, 
Fabiano Spindola, one or more of them is is really Kukuna underperforming, Korea. or yeah, or hurt at the time. And I mean, I, I think this time, I mean, they were slow with him coming back this time. I think they're going to be even slower with him building him up to a, a to full starting t- minutes when he gets healthy again. Yeah. To go back to your Marcus Halsty point, which is, which was a good one, uh, depending on how the the summer European transfer window goes, Halsty might come into a starting spot, partnering Davy Arnault instead of Perry Kitchen. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, reportedly, there was an Anderlecht scout in attendance in Philly. Um, I, I heard that somewhere through the grapevine. Um, was it in a Har brother? Uh, <laughs> it very well could have been. There are, there are Anderlecht scouts embedded within DC United's academy, if you want to count the Nahar brothers. <laughs> full, full disclosure, I am an Anderlecht scout of this podcast. <laughs> Scouting the two of you. Carry on. Jason, what kind of bribe do you have to get to, to get me called up to, to a bigger podcast? Presumably the Anderlecht podcast. Do I have to learn Flemish or, or French? Right. That's part of the that's part of what I'm noting in this one is that you guys don't know those languages. Son of a bitch. Um I can't properly pronounce uh Van Gogh though in the Flemish way, Van Gogh. We did so, and you you did go over there recently. I did. I was in yeah. Brussels for for a day. I was mostly in Antwerp, but I was in Brussels for a day. And I got an Anderlecht scarf. So uh, That's that's something. So make sure you note that in your scouting report. <laughs> uh, our our next and final question comes from a commenter in front of the site, DCU Exile. That's at DCU underscore Exile. He uh, he actually runs our MLS match prediction game. Which if you're not playing, you should. It's lots of fun and it's really embarrassing for the likes of me and Ben and Jason when we have weeks where we just don't get any games right at all. And I think this past week was possibly one for all three of us. So good times there. Uh, DCU Exile asks us at filibuster DCU, if you were a goat, what species would you be? And Ben, are you happy? I read the question. I wasn't going to, but you you called me out before the show, so. I read it. But, I am happy. I, I I would be a pygmy goat like uh, Buttercup and do my kung fu moves on all the other goats. You would jump on Jason's back and do a backflip off of him. Exactly. I, I I have to say I just out of sheer hilarity I would probably be and I can't believe I'm participating in this. I would be a fainting goat. They're the goats that when they get too excited, they just fall down and are completely stiff as a board, paralyzed for a few seconds, and they get up and walk away. They're just fine. But they have that moment of panic that literally knocks them off their feet. Jason, I, uh, I answered the goat question. Right. You, you better have an answer for the goddamn goat question. <laughs> um, I don't know any more types of goats <laughs> than those two. So uh, going on has kind of uh, bit me... You're, you're going to be the goat that digs through the trash and finds the beer cans. Whatever yeah, species that may, is. Maybe one of maybe the, the old timey. Yeah, like a regular uh, run of the mill goat that that people think is kind of a grouch, um, <laughs> uh, and and ends up eating cans and cartoons. More of yeah, more of like a, a goat that doesn't actually exist in reality, but a goat from cartoons or comic books. 
I can't believe this is where we're ending the show. <laughs> but it is. Thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com, of course. We're on Twitter, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your hate mail, love letters, and advertising inquiries to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us ratings and reviews on both of those. We are also on SoundCloud. Uh, so if you want just direct access to every single episode plus some extras plus some locker room material, that's where you want to go. If you want to get if you want to get the episodes like two to three hours before they come out on the website, go to SoundCloud. Sometimes a day before they come out on the website. Usually but not a day. Usually not a day, but sometimes. Ben, I wasn't. I was not casting aspersions. Uh, Mostly, though, we we spread the gospel of filibuster. I can't believe I just used that phrase by word of mouth. So tell your friends about the show. Do not mention that I used the phrase gospel of filibuster, please. I apologize for that. Uh, On that note, thanks again for listening. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.